If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we're going to talk to U.S. soccer star and Portland Thorns defensive player Megan Klingenberg about her ambition to become a celebrity chef. And she is closer than you think, my friends. We will also talk to the baseball card vandals and ask them if they get their hands on a very valuable Honus Wagner, would they draw a bong on it? We'll also slam some hammers, give you some distractions, and so much more. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me in studio this week, a fresh-faced sports media strategist who has logged time with the Colorado Buffaloes, University, no, no, the Green Bay Packers, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. many global sports brands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Adam Millard. Adam, man, I'm rocking your intro this week. Oh, uh, that's okay. That's why <laughs> I've told you for a long time it's way too complicated, and you finally screwed it up. <laughs> well, I'm not going back. That's okay. At least we got rid of cultural daywalker. <laughs> You're always the cultural daywalker to me. Every time I I read you in, I just want to say cultural daywalker. It's so good. Question. Yeah. What is a daywalker? Okay, I can break this what, down. What is it? Wait, is that a real question? Real uh, question. Blade is a daywalker. He's the daywalker. I don't think there are other daywalkers. He had a he had a mother who was human, uh, and a father who was a vampire. No, that's not true. No, he had a mother. Well, at least in the movie, he had a mother who was human, and she was. Bitten by a vampire. Bitten by a vampire. And they, while she, was she died. She died. They saved the baby. So the blood of the vampire uh, went into him. Uh-huh. And so they said he got all of their strengths, meaning their he's a vampire, yeah. but he can go around in the day and none of their weaknesses. Where's his dad? Uh, that's why he's called the daywalker. That's why he's the daywalker. Mm. I don't know. I mean, his dad was just a deadbeat. Yeah. Uh, one of the first black superhero movies, which people don't think of it as a superhero movie, but it is. Well, Steel came before. So do you, would you say Steel influenced nope. the Daywalker mythology? Nope. <laughs> Not, may, maybe I would, Adam. Well, I'm sure you would. <laughs> also with <laughs> us, laughing and asking questions about Marvel Comics lore. In our Brooklyn Bureau, our Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how is life in New York? You know, we're going to my sister's wedding, and we're packed, like, two kids. It's in Northern California. I am packing a lot of crap for this week-long endeavor. Ooh, baby. Traveling with two kids cross-country for a wedding. We're all in it. I am actually performing the ceremony. You uh, I got are. Yes. Uh, in California, they actually make it really easy. I think they saw that everybody was just registering for some online what have you and i just had to uh, get a notarized letter and send it into the county courthouse and i am yeah. i am certified for one weekend to marry these two people and i have to stick around an extra day to turn in all the paperwork at the courthouse to make it official and then my daughter is the flower girl 
My son is the ring bearer, and my wife is doing a reading. So yeah. we are we are all up in this wedding. I was also officiant. What do you mean you're only certified for one weekend? That's for life. I'm a men, I'm a deacon. So is now a good well, time for us to talk about how I made Gareth the best man at my wedding, and then he did not make me the best man at his wedding? <laughs> yeah, I think this is appropriate time. Well, I didn't have a wedding party, and I had one person do a reading, and it was Brad. So. Oh. Well, come on, that's the same. But you had Dan Pribble do a toast, even though Dan Pribble is the official toastmaster of the world. He's a great toastmaster. Huh. Shout out Dan Dan Pribble. Dan Pribble's a friend of Brad and mine, and it was just actually my wife and my 10th anniversary last weekend. And we, thank you, and we looked at our, our wedding book, and I did say that my favorite moment of the entire wedding, my favorite memory was Dan Pribble and our friend Ashley giving a revolutionary war era toast of three huzzahs as we got married in Massachusetts near where the revolutionary war broke out. So my favorite moment of that night, Gareth was when I got in an after hours argument with your bartender about whether I could get a Jack Daniels shot neat on the rocks, which is impossible, (laughs) but I digress. It was a pretty good wedding. <laughs> it was a very good wedding. You DJ'd your own wedding with vinyl records, which I thought was it, uh, towing a very dangerous line between incredibly impressive and super douche. Well, uh, well, I just did. It was a short little set of songs I had picked out for my wife. My friend Ty Jesso, who is one of the best DJs on the East Coast, DJed the wedding proper. So nice. Well, I was married once, and uh, Aaron Rodgers came to my wedding and tore up the dance floor. So, beats all of your stories, I guess. Wow. I got nothing. I had Steve Shaver tearing up my dance floor. Shout out Steve Shaver. That's good. All right. <laughs> yeah, but he was a backup back then. That's good. I like it. It didn't count. It backup Aaron Rodgers doesn't count. Well, I think backup Aaron Rodgers counts. I think it led to his greatness. <laughs> We shall see about. We'll have him on. We'll ask him all about your wedding. How about yeah. that? Yep. Waiting. Waiting for the. Is that a hammer, Brad? Are you hammering Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. But speaking of hammers, <laughs> as you know, abbreviated this. As you know, look. If you listen to the show, you know we invite people on publicly. Man, we don't we don't hide that from you. We we air out the process, open source. We call the slam and the hammer. I'm gonna go first. How about that, guys? Sure. Oh, by the way, no Joe Reed this week. Still detoxing from his trip to Egypt. Joe, come back to us, please. We miss you. My hammer, guys. Denver Broncos kicker Brandon McManus. Do you know he set an NFL record for most field goals made in a playoff game, I believe, with five in the AFC title game? Wow. Or tied a record, right? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I don't want to talk to him about that. We're not. We don't talk about sports. Here, he so does food blogging. Huh. Uh, on Broncos.com, as I've seen it, he and his wife, I think, do restaurant reviews. Talk about different places to get a meal out in Denver. Oh, that's cool. The Ringer did a huge profile on him. He sounds like a super interesting guy. And I'd also he does an anti-bullying campaign. I mean, we've talked on the show about cyberbullying, but I I still think that like athletes who get involved because. Look, we talk about athlete foundations on the show, but we make a real effort. Like, we don't just say, you have a golf tournament that's cool. We'll come have you come on and talk about that forever. If you're Ozzie Smith and you play two rounds a day, I'll talk to you about golf. Or if you're, you know, Russell Okung and you do an awesome, you know, charity that 
has is teaching coding to kids in the inner city and you've learned coding yourself, I'll talk about that, like the immersive experience. Uh, Brandon is really involved in trying to end bullying. He's got a whole bullying campaign. We've talked to other guys like Amon Green about oh, anti bullying campaign. Yeah, so yeah, he's got a bullying campaign. He just beats ass, <laughs> you know, like, like me to Joe Reed. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, you know, the more you know, like hate, uh, hate isn't born; it's taught. Start early. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Anyway, Brandon, come on the show. Let's break it all down. Uh, we'd really like to talk about the food blogging and uh, and what he's doing in the community. Cool. Adam. Um, so this works out nicely. So speaking of backup uh, Packers quarterbacks, uh, a, a guy who I really liked during my time in Green Bay, one of my favorite players, now the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Doug Peterson. Um, mm. Doug was kind of, along with Favre, was kind of the leader of a group of players who went hunting on a regular basis. Um, listening to other podcasts, I've heard a lot about hunting. I've always been kind of on the anti side of hunting, but a lot of what I'm hearing makes sense. So I want to know, uh, I want to hear more from Doug about his hunting because as far as I know, he is a lifelong hunter. Um and if he has time to do it anymore. So you would be our first NFL head coach, Doug Peterson. Hammer is dropped. All right, Gareth, who do you want to slam the hammer to this week? All right. Last week I talked about Bart Scott, and I'm not trying to work through the entire NFL Today lineup, I swear, on CBS. Tony Gonzalez, arguably the greatest tight end in NFL history, although I think by the time it's all said and done, Rob Gronkowski will render all that moot. And he will be the best, but it doesn't matter. For now, Tony Gonzalez is the GOAT. Noted vegetarian? Yeah, uh, is I don't know if he stuck with it. I thought he went back. Huh. Oh, did he? Uh, well, he was. He wrote a book on it, right? I don't know. It's a terrible idea. He might have stuff. Not Tony either. Gonzalez is in the upcoming Triple X movie with. Oh. Good so, oh. Tony. Come on the show. Let's hear about your star turn as an action hero. That's our hammers. If you've got someone you want us to talk to, email us, justnotsports at gmail.com. Or even better, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, just invite them on direct on your social channels. Let them know. Come on, Just Not Sports. Do this thing. Copy us on it. Or sneak into their house and give them a cell phone. You know, In mud and or animal blood, just write Just Not Sports Instagram (laughs) on the wall. We've got a packed show tonight. We're going to jump right into it. Megan Klingenberg, one of my favorite players from the U.S. women's national team. Great defender for the Portland Thorns. Made the signature save uh, in the World Cup of 2015 with, a, with a, you know, just an amazing play on the line. She runs her own YouTube channel. She dabbles in recipes and cooking a la TV cooking show host, breaking it all down with her. And then after that, got a really fun interview with the baseball card vandals talking about really the, the, the most compelling way to deface your beloved old baseball cards for a greater good. So two good, two good interviews. Stick around. We will be right back. Joining the show right now 
is Megan Klingenberg. Megan is one of the world's most elite soccer players and a mainstay on the back line for the U.S. women's national team. She made arguably the most important goal line save of the team's 2015 World Cup run. And as a member of the Portland Thorns, she's helped the club to one of the best records in the NWSL. But right now we're moving from the pitch to the kitchen. Megan runs a popular YouTube channel that includes a cooking show called Kling's Kitchen, where she explains how to make everything from healthy party bowls to guacamole. Megan is joining us from the road as the U.S. Women's National Team gets ready to play a series of friendlies, and we're going to break down her passion for cooking and whether she's got what it takes to be America's next top chef. So, Megan, thank you for joining the show. Let me start here. Um, I know you've described yourself on Twitter as a wannabe celebrity chef, and then you kind of walked that back in your uh, on your YouTube channel. Please tell me you have not given up the dream and that we one day will see you on Food Network or, or wherever you want to be cooking full-time. Oh, well, I certainly love to cook. Um, I think it's a wonderful way to work out stress, try new foods, just enjoy time with family um, and friends. But I don't know. I don't know if I can handle the celebrity chef pressure that's the problem <laughs> uh, i think that maybe uh especially not on those cooking shows that gets my stress level up i don't think that i can be timed sometimes it's taking me like three hours to make dinner and i'm having a glass of, of wine and it's the most lovely evening that i have but i certainly wouldn't make it in with the uh within the time limit well okay so you've dabbled on your youtube channel with you know, sort of that's that that food instructional type of content, uh, Kling's Kitchen, which I love, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. When did you decide to take a flyer on that? And um, I guess what was the motivation and inspiration for giving it a shot? Well, I love to cook, and my my mom loves to cook, my grandma loves to cook, my great aunt loves to cook. I mean, it runs in the family, so there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of recipes that have come down and there's a lot of, you know, culture and tradition and things that we love to do in the kitchen. And basically I, I, I do the megasodes and the Kling's kitchen with one of my best friends, Brittany Bartok. Mm-hmm. And we have just an absolute blast making these videos. I mean, I think it might be more fun for us than it is for the people <laughs> actually watching it. But so, uh, she comes over and I make dinner for her all the time because she doesn't, particularly like to cook and I love it and we eat the same stuff and so she's like we really should do a megasode about this and I'm like I don't know that sounds like a little bit boring but it ended up being you know one of people's favorite megasodes we have tons of comments on it and uh, I've gotten a lot of tweets and messages from different people asking to to cook different things so it was kind of a hit and surprisingly so but we were just you know super excited to do it and I mean, we're just having a blast doing this stuff. So in watching them, I mean, you seem pretty at ease in front of the camera, but I have to suspect it's a lot more complicated to narrate your cooking while you're doing it than just sitting down and cooking. <laughs> did, did it take you a little bit of time to get like at ease uh, with somebody, even a friend, filming you? Well, with Brittany, I have absolutely zero problem being myself in front of the camera. That's why I think the Clink's Kitchen actually turns out so well. I'm just essentially doing it, having this narrative in my head that I usually have, but I'm just saying it to the camera. 
So um, in that respect, it's actually pretty easy. Where we really struggled was making the recipe. So there's a recipe that always goes with the cooking show, right? And they show it at the end or they'll have a link to it on their website or what have you. And we really struggled <laughs> making <laughs> the recipe because the way that I do it, and, and Britt knows this, is that I'll be like, okay, how about a little bit of this? Oh, maybe a little of this would be great. Oh, I mean, nah, I don't know about that. So it's more about me just throwing something and trying it. And, and my mom always used to tell me, just smell the dish, smell the food. Mm. And if it smells good, then you're making a good dish. And so we kind of... Uh, you know, my kitchen goes by that rule because my mom's an incredible chef. And when I am cooking, that's that's the rule that I go by. And so trying to write that down on a recipe isn't quite the easiest thing to do. I, I mean, that's a great... First of all, I know some chefs who really kind of work on feel. Uh, my wife is someone who, who does that a little bit. She'll, um, you know, she'll experiment. For me, I am terrible at cooking. It runs in my family. Uh, and my mom freely admits she was terrible at cooking. So I need to have like very detailed instructions or else it all goes haywire. Um, but you know what's funny is in watching Kling's Kitchen, there's really interesting moments. Like you pick up a, you know, you, you pick up a pepper and you start cutting it in your palm and you're like, by the way, I wouldn't cut like this at home. Um, and, and that's what I like about it is that in the world of sometimes like celebrity chefs are sort of over polished. Uh, but I think the most effective ones are ones that kind of say, "Hey, look, this is my style. Take it or leave it." Um, and if mm-hmm. and if you want to do, you know, translate this into your own style, like feel free. Definitely. I mean, I do not have any formal training when it comes to cooking. When it comes to you know producing a cooking show and what needs to be on Food Channel to be on air, that's not what we're about. It's more about making something that's fun and lighthearted and you know, creating these recipes that I think are good for you and also really awesome ways to um, enjoy company with your friends. So making a, like, party bowls of burritos, you know, burrito bowls, and then making guacamole is an awesome way to have a dinner party. Yeah. And we actually ended up having a dinner party, you know, later with, Tobin Heath and Ali Long and you know some of my friends from the team and we had an absolute blast. So it's it's not only about the food for me, especially in Clink's Kitchen. It's more about giving people a way to enjoy time with their family and friends around food. When are we gonna get more of these episodes? Because I'm a big fan. I, I want to <laughs> see more Clink's Kitchen like for the long haul. Well, there's one actually right in the pipeline. It's coming up next, and we take on cookies. Oh. Um, yeah, I know. So we don't always make the healthiest things because you can't eat healthy all the time. I think you have to have a bit of fun when you're enjoying food. Um, but Britt's going to come out sometime this month to Portland and we're going to film some more, get some things in the pipeline and, and release them as we go. Cause we, I mean, we have a blast. It's just, it's too much fun. Actually, we, it shouldn't be that much fun to make a mega but it is. <laughs> Are you consciously trying to make her laugh? <laughs> oh, well, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's more fun when we're laughing, but I know Britt has a good sense of humor, and if she's laughing, then a lot of times other people will be laughing as well. And you don't get to see her humor. Her humor is more subtle in the videos in Clink's Kitchen. She obviously edits it and puts it together. So the things that 
she thinks are funny or what makes the video. And that's purely her humor and what she thinks other people will find funny. So my, my humor is obviously overt, but hers is a bit more subtle. And I think the way that she puts things together makes it just so much fun to watch. Well, tell Brittany, like, she should speak up because, I mean, it's not it's not TV. You know, it's not it's not Food Network. Like, I, I think it's she's a great sort of personality on the other Megasodes. So I would say, uh, you know, pipe in. It's fine. Well, actually, when we first started making these Megasodes, I, I had to be like, Brittany, you need to stop laughing. You're killing the, the scene. <laughs> so I'd be like doing something ridiculous, like in the hair one or whatever. And she'd be giggling. I'm like, you can't be giggling on the video, you know? And so uh, we, we tried to find other ways to incorporate her in the Megasodes. And we did a vlog, and uh, that way she was actually in one and was participating. Yeah. And so th- it's been just a, an absolute blast, and hopefully we can keep making them because people seem to really enjoy them as much as we do. Let's talk a little bit about your history with food. You've you've been pretty candid that you think your mom is the best chef on earth. Uh, my I mo- do. My mother-in-law would like to uh, compete with that uh, sometime. But what 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 is it about like your mom's style of cooking that you felt like was so effective that you maybe have tried to translate into your own style um, now that you're out of the house? Geez, I'm not sure that my mom has a style, but she, I've never had better dishes than some of the things that she makes. Right. And whenever I travel, especially when I was in Europe, I tried to go to Michelin starred restaurants and I tried to, um, make sure that I'm eating at the the famous place that makes the donuts or uh, this this guy, you know, puts all of his beans in house and makes this chocolate, um, you know, right in his store. And, you know, always try and do the different things in the different cities, what they're famous for and, and what's supposed to be the best food. But it always comes down to like, oh, my mom's made this before. And I'll tell you what, it's really, really good. And comparatively, I think it's like even better. And I might be biased, but I have friends come over that are just, that they ask for things. They have like a favorite food of my mom's. So whenever, uh, you know, anybody from my college house, when we live together in, in North Carolina come come over, they're like, oh, we want, you know, pulled pork and, and and baked beans because she doesn't just do the pulled pork from a store. She'll roast the pulled pork and then she'll smoke it, you know, to get that smoky flavor. And she'll make the barbecue sauce and it'll take her three days to make it. And she'll have, uh, gosh, a slow cooker of, of beans and, and she'll go get fresh corn from the local farmer's market. So it's not like she's just picking up stuff in the store and, and, and making it. And it's really good because there's a lot of sugar added. No, this is like homegrown. Uh, like barbecue with lots of love, you know, mixed in, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, I grew up in a house where my mom would would make ham like four nights a week, and the other three we'd order pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no offense, like I know that some people don't like to cook, but you know, I was so lucky in a sense that my mom made it something special, made it something that everybody wanted to come to the dinner table and interact and be together. And so for the mega shows and when I'm cooking, that's what I always try and do is make it so good that everybody wants to come to the dinner so we can spend time together. Cause I think that's important. Food is not just about eating to me. Food is about a culture. Food is about family. Food is about um, being with people that you love to be around. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you have a favorite recipe to actually cook? Is there something that you find most enjoyable to make? Oh, geez. I don't know. I don't think so. I love making guacamole because it's so fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't know if I could choose just one. Right. I mean, do you do you have like a go-to comfort food? Something that like you just really want to pick me up and you just say, I got to have this. Oh, I eat popcorn all the time, but I don't, uh, I don't do, I don't do the microwave popcorn. I try not to microwave anything ever. Um, I don't really believe in, in microwaves, if how, you will. How come? Is that like a, is it a, is like a, like a health thing or is it just a, you, you just I feel like it's it, cheating? Yeah, I think it's a health thing for me. And I, I also think that it's more of a, I don't know, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's cooked. Like it, it doesn't feel right to cook it right. that way. And so I'll, you know, get the, get the kernels that come in a, in a bag or in a jar and I'll put in some coconut oil, put in some uh, veggie oil and, and cook it up and on the stove top and, and pop it. And I think it's even more fun that way. What do you do? What do you put that in? Like a, like a, just a pan with a lid? Yeah. Just a, just a, a pan with a lid. A little stainless steel. I'm going to try this and burn my house down. Like I know it. <laughs> Just make sure when you're doing it that you're not just letting the kernels sit. You have to move them around a little bit. Like, you remember those Jiffy Pans? Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember those. Okay. Okay, so when you have the Jiffy Pan, you had to, like, move it over the flame. That's kind of how you have to do it with, uh, with the pan, uh, your pot a little bit. <laughs> have you ever had, a, like, a kitchen disaster? Like, a really, a really notable kitchen mishap? Oh, absolutely. What's the most, yeah. what's the worst that's ever happened? Geez, so I just invested in these stainless steel pots and pans, and what you're supposed to do is um, season them. And what that means is you kind of put a layer of olive oil on them, and then you heat them up, and it uh, goes in between the atoms or whatever, so you have so food doesn't stick in the bottom, and so you can cook with it and be better. and so I totally overheated it and <laughs> they were smoking and they were, um, yeah. they were a mess. Like the oil was sticking, it was not coming off. And I thought that I totally ruined my pants and I was like elbow greasing them and like trying to get the oil out and it took hours and I couldn't do it. Uh. And, um, Finally, I had to look online on YouTube and figure out um, and figure out a way to actually get that oil off. So I had to do some research on YouTube, watching videos. I mean, that should have been a video, like a a video in and of itself. Right. <laughs> um, and it was a mess. And uh, I've only got a few more questions, but it, it's a, it's a little bit louder than it was before behind you. Is there a quieter place to go? If not, we'll just plow through. Get on the bus real quick. I had to go down in the elevator, and all my teammates just heard me talking, and so they were just like laughing at me and trying to mess up the interview. <laughs> well, that's uh, totally expected. No worries. We just had Megan Rapino on this week, so tell her not to tell her not to screw up. Just not sports, huh? Because she just gave us such a great interview. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. All right. So I heard you. I heard you talking <laughs> about quinoa um, in your. I think in your party bowls episode. Uh, and, and what, like, you know, kind of a superfood it is because of the mix of carbs and protein. 
What are some superfoods that athletes like you who eat healthy turn to that that regular folk like us should be eating more of? Oh, my gosh. I don't really like the term superfoods because it makes me feel like everybody, like you eat one of these things and you're going to be good for the rest of the day. Yeah. And I thoroughly believe in eating a balanced amount of everything. But, uh, I mean, I always have popcorn. I always have fruits. I try and eat things with, with no added sugars. Um, and I think it's just making sure you have a good balance of everything and and moderation is, is definitely key, but I would never say cut out, um, like sweets or desserts or things like that. Cause I mean, those are awesome, but otherwise I would say I always have my protein smoothie that I mix up Mm -hmm. and I love, I always have my fruits, my veggies. And other than that, I mean, there's really no secret to it. How about, is there something that you'll never eat? And I couldn't tell from your videos if you were vegetarian. Oh, well, recently I have um, become a vegan. Okay. And I've been eating, I would say, mostly vegan since January. No meat, um, some, some dairy and some eggs because it's really difficult when I travel. Um, a lot of the soups and things have dairy in it. and you know, I make exceptions for that, but uh, when I'm in Portland by myself with my club team, I eat strictly vegan, and um, I feel like it's been really awesome for me. And when I've cut out dairy, I felt so much better and like had yeah. more energy, and and um, it's really important to me to eat that way. So that's why I've been, uh, but it hasn't necessarily been something that I've. I've talked about yet because I wanted to make sure that <laughs> it was going to be a lifestyle change before, um, before I, I talked about it publicly because it's an important change to make sure that, you know, I'm not being, uh, ingenuine and in the public eye. Well, it's gotta be hard though. Cause as an athlete, you've got, I mean, people take for granted how athletes control every part of what they do all day. It's not just, you mm-hmm. get up and you go to practice. Everything you put in your body has to be very regimented. You need routines. So I'm sure that making major diet changes is something that you would want to wade into anyway, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think people have been relatively supportive, but you always get the question of, are you getting enough protein? Which I always think is kind of funny because, I mean, if you're eating beef or pork or any of those other uh, animal products, where do you think the animals are getting? The protein from plants. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so um, it, it's been only difficult in the sense that when you travel, um, there might not be as much selection. But as long as there's one thing on the menu that I'm down with and sounds delicious, then I can go anywhere. Uh, and that's really the the biggest challenge. Is it's it's more for other people that it's a challenge than it is for me. Because uh, they're like, well, we want to go to this restaurant, so we don't know if they have anything for you. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll look. <laughs> and, uh, but I've been lucky because, you know, most of my, my teammates and, and family have been supportive and they try and, you know, go out of their way to make me feel comfortable, the things that I'm eating. So in that sense, it's been great. Last question. I love the YouTube channel. I love it when athletes are creative. And I, I, I think it's so um, amazing to see athletes kind of create. Uh, content as they go, not just, you know, oh, I'm in commercial X, but uh, your webisodes have 
everything from I'm you sorry. just doing kind of, you know, talking to camera to an amazing lip sync routine that ran recently. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Where do you want to take your YouTube channel and, and how do you, I guess, how do you get inspired? Where do your ideas come from? Well, mostly they're bringing ideas and, and, and mine as well. We just kind of go about our everyday life and we do stupid things all the time, not bad stupid things, but we do, like, we just find things that are funny and, and run with it. And that's kind of how medicines go. As far as how we get the ideas, Brittany comes up with them at 4 a.m. when she just, like, wakes up in the middle of a dream and writes something down. Um, but for me, it's more just about, like, things that I do probably in my own home that other people would think are hilarious, but I'm just I'm just doing them because... I don't know. I like to sing or I like to dance or uh, I think, you know, my hair routine is funny. And we also get a ton of user comments as well, which we love and use those as inspiration. So we get inspiration from everywhere. Really, that question is better, you know, geared towards Brit because I come up with these crazy things and I tell them to her and she just makes them into an, epi- an episode, you know? <laughs> so, um it, but it's fun. We have a blast just brainstorming, thinking, creating, and it just kind of happens naturally. Uh, are we going to see you on Lip Sync Battle on TV anytime soon? Because you're natural. <laughs> oh, I, I hope so. That seems like a pretty fun show, and I really think that I could give everybody a run for the money. All right, well, Fallon, take note. Lip Sync Battle, LL Cool J, take note. We want to see you there next year. In the meantime, best of luck with the team and um, with the end of, of the pro season. We advise everyone to follow you on Twitter. It's at Megan Kling with an H. Your website is MeganKlingenberg.com. And, of course, your YouTube channel. Thank you for joining, especially for braving the bus and people messing with you uh, during the interview. <laughs> and, uh, and best of luck. Oh, thank you so much. Really fun to talk to you guys. Baseball Card Vandals, thank you for joining us today. Um, tell us, what do you do? That's a, that's a hard one. <laughs> now, uh, so we've, um, yeah, for the past, what, three years, yeah. we've been, uh, we took this hobby that we've had ever since our childhood, ever since I was about, what, 10, and Bo was like 12 or 13. Yeah. And, um we we've always just uh we were we're artists and we're also huge baseball nerds and we were baseball card collectors in the 80s and 90s and so we have all these um we had all these cards just lying around and um we always had sharpies permanent markers so we just started um doodling on them and making funny shit out of it and um we would just throw them back and forth to one another just to try and make each other laugh. And three years ago, we, we, we just started posting them on the internet and, um, we, we kind of fell in love with it. Yeah. So basically, I mean, we just, we've been doing this ever since we were kids and we started a Tumblr in late 2012, just to, just to basically show our friends to put funny stuff up there. And within like, Two weeks, there was a BuzzFeed article about it, and it just kind of blew up and found its audience. It's one of those weird things that the internet makes possible, which is like doing yeah. something that you've been doing to entertain yourself all your life and just putting it 
on the internet and people, the people who are just as weird as you and have the same sense of humor find it. Um, so yeah, so basically, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the short way to say what we do is we draw, uh, we draw Sharpie jokes on baseball cards and we post them on the internet twice a day. That's, that's, uh, that's that's what we've been doing for the last, uh, four years officially. Um, but we've been doing it unofficially most of our lives. Yeah, and there's there's really absolutely no reason for it. <laughs> but oh no no no, that's the beauty of the internet. Exactly, that's that's the best part of it. And we're just we're fortunate enough that that we've come this far and, and we just continue to gain. Um, we just continue to gain fans and people who love to see it every day, and that just makes it all worthwhile. And they make us feel less lonely in our weirdness. Yeah. <laughs> Well, That's why we have you. So, on. if I can ask, one of the things that I think attracted me to you wasn't just the era of a lot of the cards you are defacing. It is that a lot of them come from the '80s and early '90s, which was in baseball cards, especially the quote-unquote height of overproduction. And I overheard that from a tops person like 12 years ago at a day job. They happened to be doing some research, like market research at this place I worked. And I heard somebody say that. And ever since I thought back on it, my first memories of older men being gross and evil was as a kid being ripped off for Kevin Moss rookie cards for $5. And... So was some of this and some of your art, because it gets it can be pretty either dark or dirty, come from a cynicism around that area? No, I I would say first and foremost, I mean, I'm speaking for me, I think for both, too, but I absolutely love baseball cards, no matter, okay. uh, you know, still even to this day, I think I think there's an art form in it. Um, I'm not like a huge collector or anything, but you're talking about 80s and 90s, you know, the, the mass production of these things and and how pointless they are now. <laughs> like you you go back and, you know, a handful of them are, are good or worth keeping. You know, you have King Rookie Jr. rookie cards in the 89 sets and that's Frank, pretty much Frank Thomas rookie cards and that's about it. Yeah, you got one card that's worth, even if it's I not got worth it. Yeah, it's, it's still pretty fucking cool to have that. So yeah. You'll rarely see Bo and I, uh, we have before, and, and we're going to continue to do it, but it, it's uh, we still have sort of a respect for it. What we what we do, though, is we take all those shitty cards, or, or like you said, just older men. The commons. The yeah. commons that are just hysterically ugly and pathetic and pathetic and we just try and have fun with it. So, I mean, we, we're no way... We're upcycling. Yeah, we're not trying to disrespect <laughs> the game or disrespect the players and we don't have any hard feelings, although we spent a shit ton of money when we were kids on these... All of our money. Yeah, on these things. But, um, but yeah, I do think... I, I, I think it's kind of, like Brian's saying, like we have a we have a little bit of a reverence for baseball cards because that's what we, we, that's what we literally grew up. Like you said, spending all our allowance money on. And that was like our first introduction to, I don't want to say art or design, but like thinking that something is worth money just because it looks cool. Or like, it's almost like a, 
a mythical object of value, you know, it's like, right. there's nothing really, there's no, there's no reason that like a Picasso painting is worth a million dollars. It's just a piece of canvas with some paint on it. But because it's a Picasso, it's worth that much money. And the same thing is true of like a King Griffey Jr. rookie card. It's just a piece of cardboard. But because of, you know, the what was on the, 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 the photo and the design and the condition and all that, it's like it can become this kind of magical thing. So we, we still have a bit of that like reverence for cards. But at the same time, the when you say the height of overproduction, like that's a phrase you hear a lot when people talk about the 80s and 90s baseball cards. And that's like the polite way of saying that there was a bunch of bullshit cards in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I, I agree with, with, with a lot of what you're saying in some ways where, like, there was, you know, this idea in the 80s and, and like, late 80s, early 90s. And Brian and I have come across this even more so since we started the website than when we were kids. So, like, they were just making trading cards for everything. Like... Every new movie in the late 80s had trading cards. Star Wars, Star Trek. Yeah, even like Dick Tracy. Wait, wait, wait. guys, let me stop you right there. You're saying that Star Wars was over-merchandised? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Good thing. And, and Star Good Trek. Thing Disney like, has taken that stuff. franchise over. Yeah, right. We'll be saved from that. <laughs> but like they were, they were making trading cards for anything, and suckers like us, kids, were just, spending all our money on them. So there is a little bit of like of pleasure, I would say, that we take in turning all those worthless commons that are like, you know, the byproduct of collecting baseball cards that every baseball card collector had, right? Like, what was there, 16 cards in a pack? Like, mm-hmm. 14 of them sucked. And you yeah. knew that going in. <laughs> yeah. And and since we've been doing this, I'd say, I'd say I've had a handful. I've maybe about 10 people who have kind of uh, shunned me a little bit for what I'm doing. And they're kind of like, aren't those worth something? And I'm yeah. just like, no, no, <laughs> these aren't worth anything. These aren't worth the cardboard that they printed them on. Like, Oh, these are not worth. It's like, kind of amazing. Yeah. How, how unvaluable <laughs> like an 89 Donruss baseball card is. <laughs> I mean, I don't even really know how to, like a Dicky Fawn? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Thirteen eighty nine dollars. It doesn't matter. What would someone pay you for that? And it doesn't matter if they're good or not. Yeah. I mean, sure, Jesse Barfield had a couple good seasons back then. But yeah. if you find a Jesse Barfield eighty nine Donruss, what is that? What is that for anymore? Yeah. So let me. Like, there's no place for that in 2016 or from here on out. <laughs> right. So let me ask you this, because we started this show to talk to athletes and top sports media about one thing they do that has nothing to do with sports. And we always joke that um, even as we get high profile guests, you know, we always joke that we're, we're defiant in that if they're making news that week, we're not going to ask them about the game. And, and we always say that our Holy grail would be to have OJ on and not ask him at all about the murders. Like just, just be like, <laughs> so like I heard you dabble in sports mem- mem- memorabilia, like repossession and stuff like that. So, Right. Oh, it, oh, yeah, you could talk about you could talk about the naked gun for quite a while. That's right. That's right. So like even though even though you guys do have a reverence for the collection and or even though you have a reverence for collecting, even though you appreciate what people do and you don't want to, you know, disrespect that or the game, in your heart yeah. of hearts, if you had a, a shot at like a Honus Wagner or a Clemente rookie, 
would you at all consider making that like the creme de la creme of your of your efforts here and facing it in a really memorable way? Or would you just say, no, it's not worth it? Well, so I think we've, we didn't, uh, it's a really good question. It is a good question. It's something that we've actually thought about a lot because if we think going back to the, the question about how much they're worth, like you can go find, let's say like the King Griffey Jr. 89 upper deck was like the Holy grail of our generation. Pretty much. I think anybody age, uh, I don't know, 25 to 45 thinks that's the, the, the Holy grail of, of their generation. So that card, I mean, you can go get one on eBay now for like 20 bucks. I mean, it's, it wouldn't take that much for us to, to do it. So we actually bought a King Griffey Jr. 89 upper deck. Um, and we got one off eBay for like 12 bucks. It wasn't in very good condition. Cause it doesn't, the condition doesn't really matter to us, but we've literally had it on our, in our office at work for like the last six months and we put like a plastic sleeve on it and we take Sharpies and draw on the plastic sleeve because we decided we weren't, we weren't going to do it until we were sure. And we've seriously, we've had it for six months and we haven't taken the Sharpie to the actual card yet. Like there's something about it that just feels wrong. Whereas like yeah. if I pick up a, I don't know, like a, a Don Assey 1990 tops, who's like this, you know, big fat relief pitcher with a dumb looking mustache. Like I give, I mean, it's, you, you'll write anything on there because who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but the, we are, to, we are toying with the idea of doing some cards that are worth more. And we've done yeah. some things, some cards that are like, that meant more to us as kids. Like we've messed with like Barry Bonds, 87 Donruss or like Will Clark rookie cards or yeah, Jose Canseco rookie cards. Yeah. We recently just did a, um, Ozzy Smith rookie card, and that thing when we were kids was a hundred dollars. You know, yeah. I mean, you could buy that literally at a card shop, or you would pay the person a hundred dollars, and they would give you that card. Yeah, that piece of cardboard. So, I mean, I know what you're saying about the creme de la creme, but um, you know, for me, for me, the real um, fun comes in the other card. Yeah, the not so, the not so good card. Because, like Bo was saying, it it kind of when you're doing that, you kind of feel a little, a little nervous about it, yeah. you know, because like, like I said, I mean, we still, we still have a strong connection to these things. So, well, or there's also like this, so there's like, obviously the, the more pathetic looking players that are kind of fun to do. Um, and then there's also like this weird sweet spot. So actually like I've got a stack of cards right now and I'm looking at this 1982 tops all-star Andre Dawson and he looks so cool, and this card looks really cool and vintage, and, like, he's a Hall of Fame player. But, again, this card is worth absolutely nothing. Like, you could, you'd be lucky to get somebody to pay you 50 cents for this card on, on eBay. So, like, this is pretty cool because it has this, like, super cool look, but, like, we don't feel bad about messing it up because yeah. it's not worth anything. It'll, it'll look really good. Uh, in our collection. Yeah, it'll look really good as a BCV card, but, it's, but again, it's kind of like kind of like upcycling. We're like recycling all these forgotten things from our youth. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say for me personally, there is a rule with with doing um, BCV work on these cards that are, I guess, valuable or or just really really cool. Like 
I would say that I, I have to have at least one that's in good condition that I'm not touching. Yeah, you don't want to feel like you're ruining it. Yeah. So so if we had a if we had a Clemente rookie, right, we we would not do that unless we had another one. Yeah. Because or, you wanna keep you wanna keep one because it's fucking cool. Yeah. But but of course, I mean who why wouldn't we wanna add a Clemente rookie to our collection? Or if it was in really bad condition. Because Don Banks would right. kill you, but, you know. So if anybody's got Roberto Clemente rookie cards out there in bad condition, yeah, that they just want to give away. Well, this goes with any card. <laughs> if you got any cool card at all, send it our way. Well, yeah, it's funny. So, we now get most of our most of our cards. When we started out, it was mostly just I mean, just cards from our collection that we were messing with. And ever since we started, like friends of ours, people we work with, even like. Just people who follow us online will send us messages and be like, my wife says I need to get rid of all my old baseball cards because we're moving. And they'll just give us monster boxes full of cards, which is pretty awesome. Because that's new stuff to play with. Do do you guys take um, mass requests or specific requests? Because I collected basketball cards during the early 90s, which with the exception of... Uh, a handful of stars was some were some of the worst draft classes in NBA history. <laughs> I, I I would like to gift you an Isaiah Ryder, a Calvert Cheney, uh, okay. t- Terry Dehair, Dehair, uh, Dehair. Uh, who cares? Uh, <laughs> and a George Lynch for starters. Can can you guys do something oh, with those? Yeah. Do you, do you have any Kelly Trapukas you yes. want to throw in? Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> Yeah, but those are framed above his bed. <laughs> Not for sale. <laughs> Rob, do you want a Kelly Robert Trapuka Pack? <laughs> oh, yeah. Ke- uh, Kelly Trapuka is one of our favorite early 90s basketball players that shows up sometimes. It just never fails. He has the, the goofiest look on his face every single time we, we come across one of his cards. He's got a great mullet, uh, and a, he's always got a funny look on his face. <laughs> and what are they worth? They're worth nothing. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Do, do yeah. you guys have... One or two of your um, of your cards that you feel like are really your masterpiece, your masterworks. Yeah, we. I think we do. It's honestly, it's a little bit hard to narrow down to one now. Like, so we individually number every card that we post on the website, and we've published. I think this week's cards were like twenty eight. Yeah, 28, like twenty or twenty eight hundred and seventy. Like twenty eight. Yeah. So we publish like three thousand cards, and there's also like thousands that, well, at least at least hundreds that we have done that we haven't posted yet. So, I mean, the the it's like anything when you when you make art, like your most recent piece feels like your best piece. So, like, there if you would have asked me like a year ago, I would have said a different piece than I'd say now. Um, but we have so we have so many that we we love, but there are a few that stand out. And it's 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 unbelievable how many stupid dirty jokes you can come up with. Yeah. Like we you know, however many fart or butt jokes that we've <laughs> done, but we, we still think we can do more. Yeah, it's kinda of fun. Well that actually we can yeah. save we can save your favorite one to the end because we would like to get an answer on that. But I, I it brings okay. me to something I've wanted to ask. You guys are not afraid to travel a long distance for a punchline. Um, <laughs> these are not like Kelly Trapuca does not be, just become like Kelly Trip 
puke. Uh, like, right. a Capulet can't have sex with a Montague is as <laughs> weird and glancing a joke as I've seen in a long time. And, yeah. like, what? so what's your thought process on something? It, it doesn't feel like first thought, best thought. It feels like, okay, but what else could we do? Or what else could we try? How does that work? Yeah, so I think, so one thing, the, the biggest uh, thing to keep in mind with BCB with the process is that we, we never, like, sit down to make a certain joke. So we'll never be like, oh, the Emmys are coming up. Let's sit down and make, like, Emmy jokes that we can tweet. Well, we always do is just pick up a stack of cards with a Sharpie and just flip through them until something, like you said, like some combination of words and their face. Uh, like the facial expression they're making or their the way that their body is or a hand gesture like pops out at you. And I think as we've been doing this, like I said, we've posted almost 3,000 of them. And as we've like gotten better, I would say, I'll say we've gotten a lot better about it, but the jokes have also gotten longer <laughs> and weirder. And part of that is because the low-hanging fruit we've already picked. Yeah. Like, I don't know a better way to say it, but, like, we've already done, like, you know, if there's a card for the guy that says his name's Vinny something, we've already done Vinny and the Jets and turned him into Elton John or something. Like, so right. for us, it's it's almost become a challenge now of, like, yeah, you, I mean, I mean, connecting weird dots on the card. It's like it's like a game. Like, yeah. yeah. So we work in advertising, but, like, my brother is my creative director when it comes to BCB. Yeah. And like, I have to make him laugh before before I can show anyone else. Exactly. So it's kind of like it's kind of a challenge. Like, um, obviously, yeah, three thousand cards. You have to have new material. Mm-hmm. And if I can make him laugh, and if I like it, then it's got a shot. Yeah, and it's weird because because there are certain <laughs> for whatever reason there are certain things that like always make us laugh even if we've done it before. And I don't know why, but like there are certain themes that pop up over and over again, like like old pathetic TV shows, like really yeah. make us laugh. Like it doesn't even have to be that old. No, yeah, like, just like like Friends. We did a lot of Friends jokes just because Friends is fun to make fun of for some reason. Yeah. Well, but I love that sense. Of, I mean, look, I grew up with that sense of humor through The Simpsons. Like, I only know Sheriff Lobo existed as a television show. Because The Simpsons told me about it. And so I completely understand that impulse to just sort of go back and just hammer those things and make, I don't know, those jokes become part of your voice, as strange yeah. as that seems. So so yeah. let me give you an example. This, this is just a real-life a real life example. So the card that's going up tomorrow, so I can tell you this because it probably won't air until a while after tomorrow, <laughs> but the card is going up tomorrow morning. The, the joke on the card tomorrow morning says, dress nice and listen to Amy Grant. So that's, <laughs> that's the joke. And just to give you an idea of how that happened, so dress comes from Padres on his shirt, so like the D-R-E-S. We just put an extra S on it. And then his name was, I think, Mark Grant. Yeah, Mark Grant, pitcher for the uh, Padres. I think it was the 89. 89 upper deck. So when I looked at that card, I saw dress and I saw Grant. Right, and so I could put whatever I wanted in between there, and then he has like this really kind of like smug 
old white guy smile, and I was just thinking, this kind of asshole would say, dress nice and listen to Amy Grant. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's like that's an idea of how they of like how they come into being. It's like, and obviously, like the silly at this point for us, like the more of abs- like our jokes are really absurd. I think more than anything else, like we 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 like to say a lot that we how many cards like we've done so many cards that are sentences that people have probably never said before. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever said dress nice and listen to Amy Grant. Probably. No one's probably ever written it, but (laughs) (laughs) so the, the the all time baseball card is the Billy Ripken who I met at a bullpen party at the old Memorial stadium in Baltimore in like 1987. He's holding a bat and can you re- do you guys know that you I'm sure you know the backstory to this was it he was playing the prank or the or uh, one of his teammates was playing a prank on him to write something terribly profane on the butt of the bat so it was only visible for the baseball card photo Yeah so actually I just read an article about this so for like years and years cuz it got so famous and for years and years he said that someone played a prank on him and wrote that and it was like completely unbeknownst to him that it was on his back but I guess it came out like a few years ago. He finally admitted. So he basically blamed it on his teammates. But it came out that if, uh, like a few years later, that was his batting practice bat. Like he didn't use that bat in games. And so he wrote that on the bottom to make sure he wouldn't pick it up during games. So it was like he had written it himself and it was never supposed to be shown, but he was using that bat in batting practice. And they're like, hey, can we take a photo over the card? And he just walked over there with it and forgot about it. So it's actually his fault. <laughs> And he just uses teammates as scapegoats. And what did it say? Does it say fuckface? Yeah, it said fuckface. But then, okay, and this is in, <laughs> in true late 80s baseball card style. They made like, like, well, so it said fuckface. They, I guess, stopped the printing and did a bunch of versions that were like a blackout version and then a whiteout version and then a scratched out version. A scribble. A scribble, an airbrush. So there ended up being like, seven different versions of this card and all of them were listed in Beckett. So you could see how much every different variation was worth. Like if people would actually pay you money for like the whiteout version more than they would for the blacked out version or the scratched out version more for the, or than for the airbrusher is really bizarre. Like, like Beckett just had this weird control over people in the eighties where whatever they said, they can get people to shell out money. <laughs> like it was just their word and it was unquestioned. Uh, so I'm looking at it right now. It's such a great photo because it's so benign. It's just like the most generic photo that you would take in five seconds before a spring training game. And it just also happens to have <laughs> horrifying profanity for all mothers and fathers who bought a pack of uh, of uh, Fleer or Beckett or whatever this is uh, for their kids in like 1988. I know. And of course it had to be Billy Ripken. He already has to be Cal Ripken's younger brother who never amounted to anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So do, Cal, you, Ripken, Cal Ripken's famous for like, you know, breaking Lou Gehrig's record and taking a victory lap around Camden Yards yeah. and giving, giving five to everyone in the crowd being a hero. And he's, Famous for the fuckface card. Well, Bill Ripken also had a streak of 2,192 consecutive days of being a fuckface. That's fantastic. He does hold that record. Yeah, you're right. Well, it's it's so great what you guys do. We encourage everyone to go to baseballcardvandals.com, follow you on Twitter, Instagram. 
I just, just in even scrolling through some like like keep my boner twenty four seven the Vikings player like rocking a full erection <laughs> or I had a little crash in Roswell. You got the Astros player with the alien head. Bravo, man! These keep getting better. Good congratulations. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. We really dig the show. Thanks for having us on. And we're back. You know, when athletes do really interesting, compelling, fun, crazy things away from the games, they are inevitably trolled by idiots who want them to just watch film and focus on sports. But we know better. We know that life is work and the things that distract us from work. So right now we're going to share with you the things that are distracting us this week. Adam. What's your distraction? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Mine is uh, actually a an episode of a podcast I love, uh, the Tim Ferriss Show. So if you're not familiar yeah. with who Tim Ferriss is, Tim Ferriss. yeah, he's the writer of the Four Hour Work Week, Four Hour Body, um, Four Hour Kitchen, Four Hour Chef. So uh, he is a venture capitalist, um, high-performing guy himself. Um, I listened to a podcast. He had writer Cal Fussman uh, from Esquire on to talk about uh, whatever he wanted to talk about. Cal Fussman, a huge fight fan, talked about his love of Ali and how he followed him for several days when he was writing a feature story for Esquire's 70th anniversary. Um, it was really incredible story about Ali as a person, especially later in his life. Uh, and then he also just talked a little bit about um, his interview technique, how Esquire tricked him into um, interviewing Gerard Butler once, but he had no idea who Gerard Butler was. They just said, you're going to go meet this guy named Jerry. So he showed up and had to interview Gerard Butler without knowing what his body of work was, meaning 300. Um so it was just kind of interesting to hear his process in terms of how he interviews people as uh, people ourselves who interview uh, interesting people. I, I took some great notes from there. And I think if you're into just great storytelling, uh, Tim Ferriss show, Cal Fussman, uh, it was a few weeks ago, outstanding podcast. Uh, I listened to it while driving and listened to it again at home. Love it. I want to follow up with one thing Adam said. Uh, I read an Errol Morris interview years ago. Tremendous documentary filmmaker, won Oscars, did a lot of uh, commercials. When I was first starting out in Boston, he was the legendary local director. I mean, he's a legend everywhere, but he was spoken of in revered terms because everyone had worked with him. And I read an interview with him where he basically said his interview technique, and he's done long interview films, was... I just learned everything I can about the subject I write down, all the questions I would ask and all the notes that I would want to have in the interview. And then I don't bring any of them with me and I just have a conversation with the person because I want to have done the prep work for the interview. But the second people start looking down and seeing you looking through and rifling through a list of questions, you lose the subject. I always thought that was really good advice. Uh, so, Cal, yeah, and, it is good advice. That's interesting because in in the Cal Fussman podcast, he says the same thing. He says he writes all of his questions down on a piece of paper and then he tears it up. Yep. 
Um, on the other side of the coin, my distraction recently has been Little Wayne. Uh, I've talked a lot about <laughs> nice. their music. <laughs> Little Wayne's extraordinary. Uh, Kendrick Lamar went on a late night, drunken uh, Twitter rant recently, basically telling Little Wayne not to retire and saying he can't retire. Wayne is caught up in a lot of legal stuff with his music and baby and all that. So I just, I kind of went back and started listening to a lot of Little Wayne and my God, that is incredible. Uh, Let the beat build was a big song late night and edits down at the Patriots when I was working there. Six foot, seven foot might be the greatest rap line I've ever heard in real G's move in silence. Like lasagna. Uh, Wayne, come back to us. Don't retire. There's so much left for you to do. Uh, so yeah, little Wayne, my distraction. Loved him in that Gatorade commercial. I knew I was just waiting for, for Brad <laughs> trying to make some relevant reference. Uh, he's not going to retire. Like, Rap he- retirements are the least essential retirements we have in popular culture. They're, yeah, it, no one ever believes believes them. Why would you believe them? You don't It's not like Sinatra retired his voice gave out. Little Wayne barely has a voice. Is there something like when you declare bankruptcy, there's a loophole if you declare retirement as a rapper, you get a certain financial break or reward? I don't I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> Look, if people are sitting there trying to download Hot in Here so that Nelly can pay his taxes, Little Wayne will have no problem raising said funds he needs to get out of whatever legal way, trouble he's in. Okay. I have thoughts on, um, I love Nelly. I honestly think that country grammar is one of the best rap songs ever made. Uh, I'll never get rid of it. I still have the 12 inch rap single on my shelf and I've purged a lot of my old rap records, but that's one I will always hold on to. I think that video uh, came along at a time when everybody was ready to start doing like block party rap videos again. And it is, it still holds up. That video is incredible. In that song, Nelly's first song, he says, blow 30 mil like I'm hammered. Like, he told us he was going to do this. Okay? It was, <laughs> Call the shot. It was, he, it was his first single. So He also talks you, about street sweepers, which are <laughs> well, semi-automatic, and, or and, not and semi-automatic, automatic guns. <laughs> so I'm just saying... He told us that he was going to do this, and he did it. I don't know that we have to support him again. Okay, Nelly, I love your music. This has a great video. I even bought the St. Louis Six record. I'm ashamed to admit. But uh, you got me once, man. But you're not getting that money twice. I'm sorry. I saw Nelly uh, in a concert years ago. must have been 2002, 2003. Had a few notes. One... (laughs) Maybe have less people on stage all talking at the same time. Tell that to Wu Tang Clan. Jesus. Two, when you play your hits, finish them? Like, I feel like most songs cut off after about two minutes. Uh-huh. Dude, that's a rap concert thing. That's where rap, like. like I saw Kanye at- play two hours once, and he did everything all the way through. I've seen very few good. Uh, Common rap, was rap, great. Rap is not that great live in most scenarios. Rap is not that I mean, it depends. I think I saw Common. He was great. I saw Kanye was one of the best yeah. shows I've ever seen. I've seen Common. You're right. Common. Most Def was one of the best shows I've seen. 
Outcast still the best, still the best rap concert I've ever uh, seen. Uh, yeah, I saw Big Boy be- perform with Janelle Monae at an event we did. That was pretty cool. Huh. Uh, uh, I introduced the Saint Lunatics. Um, <laughs> well, Nelly too. I never got to meet Nelly, but I hung out with the Saint when I was a senior in college. Um, our uh, Nelly and the Saint Lunatics were coming to town, and never I saw Nelly come in, and he went to play video games. I wouldn't talk to anyone. Um, but I hung out with the St. Lunatics for a while, and uh, I introduced Nelly and the St. Lunatics <laughs> at a concert. Nice. Uh-huh. Great. All right. Well, my distraction, number one, go download the censored version of EI by Nelly because the sound effects on it are awesome. Uh-huh. Then go download the censored version of Afromance Because I Got High, <laughs> the best censored music mm-hmm. ever created. Mm-hmm. Uh, even better than Two Live Crew, Band in the USA. Mm. My distractions for reels. It's almost kind of a quasi-hammer. Travis Kelsey, guys, has a reality dating show. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Catching Kelsey, Chasing Kelsey. Chasing Kelsey sounds right. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's going to be a masterpiece. And I've always said that the best Bachelor would be Tebow because he he merges the things The Bachelor loves so much, which is religious purity and uber hunk, take your shirt off at a whim, and celebrity. And I just think Kelsey, I'll be interested to watch this show. I've always said I wanted more dating shows with athletes. I think there'd be a ton of interest in it. But I think, unlike The Bachelor, just go salacious. Go Flava Flav, Brett Michaels route. And just, you know, everyone get wasted, have a good time, have some fights, entertain us. He worked with them at South by Southwest. Super nice guy. Yeah. Real nice guy. He's a catch. Yeah. Like- My- Appropriate candidate, finally. Time is him doing the jerk off motion while standing in front of a ref. It is that is a masterpiece of 15 frames of internet video. Yeah, I do that in front of cops too, man. Whatever. And that's our distractions. Uh, That's also our show. If you didn't like it, remember what Malcolm Jenkins says about bow ties. The beauty, my friends, is in the imperfection. Please go to iTunes, like, rate, and review us. Follow us on our many burgeoning social media networks from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram to Beam. Let's end with some shout-outs. I'm going to give a shout-out to Megan Klingenberg and the folks at U.S. Soccer and the Portland Thorns for setting us up with that interview. She was a ton of fun. I love the YouTube channel. Wish everyone would go there, check it out. And there's also a new site, I think, called Soccer Social which is kind of, I think, sharing a lot of the content that, uh, you know, people in the upper tiers of uh, women's soccer and professional soccer create on their various uh, social channels. So check that out as well. Gareth, you got any shout outs for us? Yeah, shout out to the Baseball Card Vandals for joining the show. I think they're really funny and I love their irreverent take on a shared childhood that we all have. Shout out to Bill uh, Ripken, the the amazing fuckface. Yeah. I uh, also want to give a shout out to someone you just quoted, former guest on the show, uh, Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, I love seeing, I'm just fascinated by, and I love seeing all the athletes who are using the Star Spangled Banner as a way to protest treatment of blacks, African Americans, minorities, gay people, etc. Uh, excuse me, who are using 
the national anthem as a way to protest for, you know, more conversation around how we as Americans treat African-Americans or the LGBTQ community. And it's been fascinating to see it. And I loved watching Monday Night Football from Chicago where Malcolm Jenkins has his hand up in the air and the dude holding the flag is on his cell phone. (laughs) And uh, that was an amazing photo. And all these acts, thank you, Malcolm Jenkins, have really made me question. Just think about what it means to be an American, what it means, what patriotism means to me, and how I exercise it. And I think using that platform makes us all better. So shout out to him. Nice. Adam, got any shout outs? Uh, yeah, a few. Uh, shout out to my boy Uzi. Def Jeff. Little Swanee. Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin Ron. Love those guys. Thank you, Ron Mack. He fixed my Mac this week. Oh, Who else do you call? Made me Mac and Cheese. You know, because his email is just Mac at Mac. Yeah. He's just Mac, Mac at, at Mac at Apple.com. That'd be pretty amazing. I played pool with Daddy Mac <laughs> this week, I heard. <laughs> In the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Oh.